The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. All right, everybody, my name is Nobias Woolborn. The name on the marquee is Beard It Is, but today we're doing a little bit something different. A special episode um, here at American Spirit Works in Atlanta, and it is a distillery. That is right, folks. They're making brandies and bourbons and whiskeys. Oh, my. And I am with a good man, Justin Mangowitz, UGA alum, and I guess head distiller would be the title. Yep. Here at American Spirit Works. Justin, first of all, how are you today, man? Very good. Very good. Making whiskey. Good. I mean, hey, man, I don't think there could be too much of a better way to make a living, right? That's not too bad. (laughs) It's not digging ditches. Indeed. indeed. Although there there could be a little bit of digging, a little bit of getting your hands dirty. Oh, yeah. It's it's work, but it's it's pleasant work. (laughs) Nice. So... Let's start with that. How did you get into distilling? Uh, well, I started getting interesting, interested in distilling fairly early in life. Um, I grew up in Harrelson County, Georgia, which is northwest of here a little ways. Oh, yeah, I know what it is. <laughs> and, uh, my papa, Buck, had been a whiskey maker, somewhat of a whiskey maker, also a big uh, tripper, whiskey hauler in mm-hmm. the in his young days in the in the fifties, late forties, I, I reckon, and uh, so I kind of grew up hearing stories about that. He, my granny, my granny Reed made him quit doing all that at some point, and <laughs> we weren't, he wasn't, you know, I didn't learn anything specific about whiskey making from him, but just hearing family members talk about it and the little bit that I was able to to talk to him about it without granny hitting me with something, <laughs> she, she did not approve. Uh, you know, that kind of just got me interested in, in in whiskey making, and so I started doing it right out of high school, uh, just experimenting with it. So you were making it before you could drink it? Yes. Well, yes legally absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so I, yeah, I actually started in a, in a friend of mine's barn, horse barn. <laughs> oh, and yeah. That is country, baby. Yeah. And basically, I, I went to UGA to open a distillery, but while in business school at UGA, I realized I didn't really like business. Right. I like to make whiskey. <laughs> so this, this has worked out really well because I make whiskey. Other people do the marketing and the talking to people. You know about laws and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, after after UGA, I actually opened a homebrew shop in Athens, Walter nice. Homebrew Supply, uh, in 2004. Mm-hmm. I also had started making, and though I made whiskey first, I started making beer a couple years later, probably 2002 or so, and also made wine with my dad. We got grapes shipped in from California every year. Nice. Uh, we made 200 gallons of wine. The Georgia just didn't get those good grapes. I mean, no, no offense to the wineries in Georgia or anything. It's just it's a little different, man, yeah, with the grapes. I mean, you can grow. Muscadine, yeah. Got a sweet while you want. Yeah, so the vinifera strains tend to get Pearson disease, and they don't generally do very well. I honestly, if most of the most of the wineries up in the mountains get a portion, if not most, of their grapes from California as well. Yeah. I think that's that's been less so the last few years because, frankly, California just had a pretty pretty rough time. That's a tough crop. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, we did that. We, I started doing that with my dad in the mid two thousand or two thousand two, two thousand three, and then so I opened the homebrew shop, like I was saying, in two thousand four, right after graduating college. No, two thousand five. I'm sorry. Wow. And uh, the the brew shop that had been in Athens, normal brew shop where I worked and where friends of mine owned, went out of business in 2004. And uh, so basically, I just opened a brew shop so that I could make all the booze I wanted to. Right, because there's still, because in that time in Georgia, it was 2004, 2005, it was still very reductive. I mean, in the city of Athens, you had Terrapin. Uh, Terrapin had, was just starting to open an actual brewery in Athens after right. I opened the brew shop. So they didn't have a brewery. They were... They had beer on the market. They didn't have an actual brewery. Like the tasting room, the whole setup. Yeah. And there was no Creature Comforts. You could get Sweetwater or Red Brick, Atlanta Brewing in Atlanta. Yeah, but that was Copper about... Creek. Copper Creek. Creek. A friend of mine, one of my best friends is the, is the uh, brewmaster at Copper Creek. Nice. Absolutely. He's been doing... He's been there for 20 years or so. And I've... I've Kind of learned a lot from him um, on a you know larger equipment kind of mm-hmm. front, uh, but yeah. So the brew shop, I basically just spent. I owned it for five years and just made booze all the time. Nice. Experimented and learned and taught and um, yeah. So that's and so I started making all grain beer, uh, 10, 10 gallon batches probably. 
in 2004 or so. I, 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 you know, upgraded from extracted grains. And so that was really the kind of um, transition for me from making, well, I guess to making, to concentrating more on traditional Scottish style distillation. Nice. Um, because I realized pretty soon after making all grain beer that I was basically making the ingredient of scotch, which was, um, you yeah, single malt Scottish whiskeys were probably my favorite. Irish whiskeys as well, true, true good pure pastel Irish whiskeys. Um, so yeah, so that really, I went down that, that rabbit hole for many years. Um, and still the spirit still I use, like basically look exactly like that mm-hmm. spirit still right there. Nice. And they asked me what I wanted. I just pretty much said, I only know how to make whiskey the one way. So I need the stuff to make it the way I know how to make it. And so you mentioned the Scottish style, and which brings you to an interesting collaboration that you guys have with a brewery called Monday Night. Walk me through that. Uh, Yeah, so they... Jim and Charlie, who founded um, ASW, they knew Joel and Drew from pretty far back. I'm not sure exactly how far back. I've heard like up until like like ten years ago, where like yeah. they were they were homebrewing on their porch. Charlie and, and Joel live next to each other, right? I think. And so uh, I mean that just they are the clo- they are close friends, and it made sense to start exploring that option as soon as possible. Um, and I met with the brewer pretty much right when we were getting in operation. Oh, it was Adam over there, right? Adam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we kind of talked about what we would do and the logistics of doing it, which was a lot to figure out. Right. Because it's fermentation and all types of interesting things. Yeah. You they, they made the, they made the, what we would call a wash. Right. They call it, they would call it, you know, work. And um, they fermented it there and brought it over here and I ran it through the wash still and then the spirit still taking my cuts. So, and then, and then barreled it. And that went in all quarter cast or almost all quarter cast because it's a 15 gallon barrel, which matures uh, much more rapidly mm. than a full size 53 gallon barrel. It's not exactly, you know, you don't, you don't want to say it ages faster because age is a function of time. So, I mean, it's still not. 15 years old like a scotch but going into a brand new quarter cast it moves pretty quick right. um, so that really enabled us to have something really amazingly delicious to put out pretty soon and speaking of something amazingly delicious check us out here each and every week on Beer It Is my name is Nubias Wilborn I'm here at American Spirit Works my man Justin and we're taking a little bit of a, of a detour from beer still beer related but we're at a distillery, folks, and to me, this is one of the finest distilleries I've seen. I really like their setup, and my man Jess is really walking me through what they're doing and how they rock. Um, I am sipping upon this collaboration whiskey. It's out of the cash, it's going to be a little different than what people get in the bottles. Kind of walk me through how that the taste, the, the flavor profiles. Oh, yeah, so it it's 40% smoke malt, so it's, you know, the predominant... Predominant flavor that carried over from the wash was smoke. <laughs> so it, it it's not the peaty, it's not the uh, chemical peat that you get from a Isla whiskey like mm-hmm. Lafroy or Lagavulin. It's more, it's actually pretty close to the uh, more sm- specifically smoky peat flavors that are in a lot of Speyside and Highland Highland single malts. Nice. Um, it's pretty pretty potent smoke wise. It's not, I don't think, unapproachable for someone who isn't really into into single malt peaty scotches. Um, but because it's not peat, it's, it's wood smoked. It's it's got a little bit different character. Um, and of course, being in a quarter ca- in a new quarter cast, so most most scotch goes into into used barrels. Mm-hmm. That's one. Of, that's the main reason that it takes. And, and, and walk us through that too. Um, when we come out of that, why scotch is in used barrels as opposed to bourbon being in the original one used barrel? Uh, so bourbon is distilled generally in a factory in a factory setting in Kentucky or in Indiana or wherever uh, in a huge column still that has mashed continuously. Mm-hmm. That's American style bourbon, not the French style. That's a whole other conversation, right? Uh, yeah, so Amer- yeah, American bourbon. Yeah. I mean, to be bourbon, it has to be made in America. Oh, yes, yeah, you're right. You're yeah. right. So it it's distilled continuously, and it's distilled pretty, uh, I guess you'd say roughly, basically because it's in a column, a continuous column still, the heads and four shots of the spirit can never be removed by the distillation process because there's always, because it's continuous, there's always more lower, uh, more volatile compounds passing through the plate that they're drawing from on the column still to send to the doubler or the thumper. So while they can remove tails, they can't really remove the heads. Hmm. It really, so the heads generally have kind of a solvent character. A lot of people smell acetone in it, finger polish removal. Um, there's various compounds, and that really, to be good, needs to be needs interaction with the barrel, with the char in the barrel, to and and some years to break down, mellow out, and be palatable. Hmm. So Scottish style stills like ours 
I'm able, because it's a not it's a batch distillation, not a continuous distillation, it's not as efficient, it pulls over more flavor generally, right. and I can select the portion of the spirit that I want specifically to go in the barrel. So I can leave the, the four shots and the heads behind to be recycled and just select the hearts and take the portion of the tails that I want uh, to go into a barrel, which allows me to not have... Those so- as much of the solvent character in it that needs to be filtered through a lot of years in a new barrel. Now in Scotland they use used barrels, but they do it for a long time. Mm. So usually you know ten to fifteen years, twenty years, which gives it the time they need to break down the solvent that does carry that they do choose to carry through in the pot distillation, which is going to you know be different from distillery to distillery. Um, and so and and then you know so basically if you look at a if you look at a an analysis, a chemical analysis of bourbon, it'll have a lot of those low boiling congeners and compounds, but not that much, not as much of the uh, less volatile, higher boiling compounds mm. and congeners. Like a scotch will have generally very little of the low boilers and more compared as compared to bourbon, it'll have more what you would call tails or uh, the, the less volatile, higher boiling compounds in ethanol. Gotcha. So let me ask you this. With these barrels from Monday night, um, you know, barrel aging has become a big thing in beer. Is there a possibility something special might happen with those barrels once you're done with it. Yeah, so I assume, I w- we haven't talked specifically about this, I assume that we're going to, they're going to take some of these barrels um, and put beer in them. They're 15-gallon barrels. We have one 53-gallon barrel, so they'll definitely take that. 15-gallon barrels are not as logistically feasible for aging beer in, yeah, honestly. Yeah. Real small for what they Yeah, so I, I, I had talked to them about that. I assume they're going to want some, but I don't know how feasible it is. It definitely would be a pretty small amount. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we'll be using whatever portion of the, the barrels that this was in. We'll be reusing that, reusing those barrels or something. So now, um, and again, like, how does that explain to me? Because I know with bourbon, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, in order for it to be called bourbon, you can only use it one time, the barrel, correct? It has to be a new barrel and you can use it one time. Right, and that's it. That is like the old bourbon law that's been in existence. So, yes, and for a while in the last few years, they were letting people put it in a new barrel for years and then take it out and put it into a used barrel, like a wine barrel, a port barrel, for example, mm-hmm, right. like Angel's Envy. And the TTB was our, our who regulates what we can do um, from a labeling standpoint, was okay with that. And now they have changed their mind and no longer will issue those colas. Um, so they're, they are retrenching in that definition that if you want to call something rye malt whiskey, like our resurgence rye is rye malt whiskey, that's only going in a new barrel. Mm. And then when we're done with that first use of the barrel, if it's a full-size 53-gallon barrel, we've been, you know, we're selling them to different breweries, Orpheus, Wild Heaven. Wild Heaven's actually gotten all the resurgence barrels. I'm friends with there. Right, yeah. I, I, was gonna, I was actually going to mention that because... You guys met each other at your brew shop, right? Actually, I believe we met first at the brew shop, normal brew shop before mine. He was he'd been brewing longer than me, right? Um, and I believe we met for the first time there. But then, yes, after I took over the reins of homebrew supplies in Athens, and he became a customer of mine. He, he made big forty gallon batches even back then, and did was always into the the Belgian and wild that very exploratory spirit he, he, he's had since I've known him. So then, what's 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 it like seeing? His brewery kind of grow. Oh, it's awesome. that you kind of knew it's awesome. back. Yeah. Oh man, it's it's amazing. I mean, the so many of the people that I know from the brew shop have done so well in the in the in the beer industry. I have uh, a young man who started brewing at my brew shop. Who became the who was the head brewer or master brewer? I don't know what you preferred at um, at, at Wolf Hills Brewing mm-hmm. in Abingdon. Um, the cellar master at Wicked Weed in Asheville started there. Wow. Uh, he may have been brewing before. He, Josh is his name. Uh, or he might run the bottle line. I can't remember. But and then uh, Craig Mikowski out west in Colorado does runs mm-hmm. a brewery out there. So it's really been great to see. Not I mean Eric had been brewing before I had the brew shop, but a lot of people did start brewing when I had the brew shop and have gone on to careers in the brewing industry and that's been just amazing to see and I know that's happened in, in Atlanta too mm-hmm. I believe Adam for example started as a home brewer himself yeah. in the brew shops here in Atlanta there's a fascinating story I think with a lot of brewing shops even going back because there was a time when he used to have, well, he used to call them bread supply stores <laughs> where brewing was like illegal here in yep. Georgia, yep. and so now to see some of the things that people have come out come out of, this, it's almost like, like if you're in football, it's like seeing like a Nick Saban and you see all the coaches who've come behind him and what they've done. It's like it's kind of the same thing. In I have home no game. idea what that means. <laughs> Are you not in football? I don't watch sports with any guy. No. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. You're a UGA guy. 
I've, I've never even been to a UGA game. Wow. So you're just making your beer, making your wine. I make music, and I make booze, and I grow food, and I shoot things. I don't do sports. Fair enough. So <laughs> you provide all the essentials for the tailgate. You just don't go in the game. <laughs> never thought about that, yeah. I think I did go to one game with my brother-in-law and sister. They're huge sports. My sister was a uh, an almost Olympic swimmer back in the day. Oh, she wow. was the captain of the UGA swim team. Um, when she was there, and so she is a huge dogs fan, but uh, yeah, I've never let them know. This is not your bag. <laughs> okay, so I guess to make the analogy make sense, like Nick Saban, you know, Alabama coach, um, you know, it's kind of got a you know a name, and so now there's starting to be coaches who come behind kind of like his coaching tree, they call it. So it's like there's guys who are coaching other programs, like um, Kirby Smart, who's a UGA coach now, coached under Nick Saban. So the analogy I was trying to make was it seems like it's kind of the same thing where yeah. people come from I don't know. different I would, backgrounds. I don't know that I would take quite that much agency over over those those kids and what they did. Mm-hmm. They they you know they might have learned a little bit from me, but they they definitely did it on their own. Man, he's humble. Look at him. Just <laughs> I appreciate the humility. Um, <laughs> and then from there, how does brewing beer influence your distilling, or how does the distilling? Oh, wow, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean. Coming from a coming from a brewing background, or kind of blending the brewing and distilling backgrounds, just the, the willingness to experiment, try different things. You know, in, in Scotland they use one malt, say Golden Promise, and that's the only malt they use. Wow! And they use it all year, every day. That they never stray from that unless there's some kind of supply issue. That's what they do. I do not do that. I experiment with, with different grains from different malts. Now I'm more limited than a brewery because I can't say use a crystal malt because. That's not. That's just going to make a bunch of unfermentable sugars, which doesn't help me because you're not right. drinking the mash; you're drinking the spirit. So I can only use I can only use grains and, and malts that are base malts that are 100% fermentable or close to it. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, brewing. I, I couldn't really underestimate or understate the amount of impact brewing has had generally on my distilling. Uh, I guess path. Guys, you're listening to Beer It Is on the CSP Network. My name is Tobias Woolborn. I'm here taking a slight deviation from brewing at American Spirit Works, rocking and roll, talking with my man Justin. So from there, man, uh, you mentioned the brewing, the distilling, and the winemaking. Um, all these things that have come together to create who you are and what you do. What would you say has been your greatest influence? My greatest influence? Probably, well, I mean, probably just... The influence from my pawpaw putting it in my mind to make whiskey, and that's kind of what I one of the one of the important things I got from him. Uh, and that that was just one aspect of him, and other of my cousins took other things and ran with them. Uh, but also my granny, still like a great she, man, yeah, yeah. And my, but my granny, she was just an amazing upland South Highland South cook, mm. and so she would she probably wouldn't want me to say it, but really, you know, I love to cook as well. And especially, you know, traditional Highland Southern food and basically brewing and distilling is just cooking and, you know, seeing how happy cooking makes people, you know, the food you make makes people and experimenting with things. I don't do recipes much. I just kind of think, keep things in my head and do things. I mean, she she also had a big influence on me and my dad um, who just let me, you know, basically help me do. Let you you be you. Let (laughs) let me do this stuff. And, uh, you know, also himself was interested, obviously, in winemaking. And so just helped me along through those years. I, I guess those three people would be the biggest influence. Um, as far as things that influence me, having a brew shop was a pretty big influence. Just having the ability to be able to afford to make a different beer every week. Mm. To make whatever I wanted anytime I wanted because I was getting the ingredients at cost. Right, right. <laughs> I wasn't making any money, but I was making lots of booze and drinking it and sharing it with friends. Yeah. And that seems like kind of the reoccurring theme in his business, whether it's beer, whether it's spirits, is the, um, the getting people together, the fellowship, the camaraderie. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And then from there, okay, we talked about spirit. And that's, I'd, I'd like to say that's one thing that, that is starting to change in the whiskey world, the distillery world, that, that camaraderie. So much, so many people for them drinking beer is a social thing. Yeah, yeah it is. It's about yeah. the camaraderie. And they may, they may have a beer at home, but they often, beer is something they do socially. Mm-hmm. It's kind of been the opposite with whiskey, I would say, uh, that it tends to be someone drinking whiskey on their own mm-hmm. contemplatively. Uh, I think that's changing some with the cocktail world a little bit, which I'm, I'm pretty, pretty new to, honestly. But also, I think just people, the more distilleries we have with tasting rooms where people can come in and socialize while they taste different stuff, see what's going on, I think that, that definitely has, is, is growing a lot in the whiskey world, the distillery. So, I'll ask you a question. Um, you mentioned, obviously, you guys are in the spirit work, spirit. The spirit, when it comes out, kind of explain to the audience 
what a spirit is. I think a lot of people hear the word and just never actually ask what that means. Spirit simply means distilled alcohol from a substrate that contained alcohol. So if you take wine and distill it, you are you're boiling off most of the ethanol and some of the water and re- into steam and then condensing it back into liquid, at which point it contains some water, most, you know, a good amount of ethanol, depending on the type of still. I mean, this, this is very simple, simplified. Uh, but basically, spirit just means the distilled uh, essence, concentrated, generally eth- ethanol-based uh, product from a distillation. I, I don't know. That's I haven't really thought about how to not so I'm not always good at boiling down my stuff to uh, easy easy sentences. That's why I don't give a lot of quarters here. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's okay, but no, but that's one of those things where I think because with beer, you now have people who even if they've never homebrewed themselves, know the brewing process. Yeah. You know, they've been there too, I think, with whiskey and well, yeah. still, yeah, people are still kind of learning what things mean. Yeah. yeah, that's why when you come here to the tasting room, uh, you have this giant schematic painted on the wall in very, very true-to-life detail um, of our process, and we, we are happy to walk everybody through it there, and they come in here and look at the equipment and walk, through, walk them through it again. Um, me and my friend Aaron Fu designed that schematic. He did all the actual work. That's yeah, beautiful, man. I, I really like the way it just walks through the process. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and because, because really, distillation is, like I was saying before, so occluded. And also, it varies a lot, unlike beer, right. like you were saying. Um, so that that's that's very helpful. Um, the first portion of distilling of the distillation process is basically making beer mm-hmm. or wine or you know whatever you're going to distill from. It's not exactly the same. Um, generally, whiskey comes from a, a mash that is fermented in open tanks, not a mm-hmm. conical fermenter. Right. Usually it's a warmer, faster fermentation. Sometimes there's grain in that mash. Sometimes it's clear work. Like, so in Scotland, always a clear work. They're only distilling wash. So right. basically what a brewery pulls off of the grains to send to the kettle, that's what they're distilling, they're fermenting and distilling in Scotland. In America, because we have a more of a grain-based tradition rather than a malt-based tradition um, with bourbon and rye, cereal rye, it's generally an actual grain in mash. So there's mm. grains in suspension during fermentation and distillation. Uh, so there are differences in that, what you're starting with, uh, beer versus whiskey. But essentially, to make whiskey, first you're making beer. To make to make uh, brandy, first you're making wine, um, et cetera, et cetera. So once people come in, I think they if they've taken a brewery tour, they see that. They Some similarities. They see that similarity, mm-hmm. and then that gives them a firm, you know, foothold, and then they can explore. Hopefully, you know, grasp most of what we say about the distillation process. It, it's fairly labyrinthine, and um, it's also just it, because it varies so much. It can be kind of daunting, honestly, to learn about. I think we talked about that a little bit earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, our distillation is very different than a bourbon distillation, and that's very different than uh, Old Fourth Ward Ward's batch vodka system, which is right. kind of combining a, a pot bottom of batch distillation with a column distillation so whereas bourbons made on a continuous column still generally most small distilleries are using a column still with a batch mm. charge rather than a continuous charge our bourbon is made our in-house bourbon uh, which will be out later this year is made on these Scottish style stills and it will be one of the only and it is grain in everything we do here is actually grain in wow. so, so you guys are going to do it because generally right now you guys have whiskeys we have, and brains. We have rye yeah we have rye whiskey rye malt whiskey out um, and then, so we'll be bringing out a bourbon whiskey later on this year uh, that was made on these sills. It's, nice. it's coming along pretty good. How long will you age it? Bourbon, because it, it really, people expect a more predominant barrel character in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it will have aged in small barrels. I, I don't know what the end exact years will be, but for a 53-gallon barrel, it will end up being three or four years old. Oh, wow. Um, that's really to get the to get the, the character, the the character you need to be a bourbon, you really have to do that. Now, with, with our with our rye malt whiskey, because it's a it's, it's a rye whiskey, but it's also a single malt whiskey, because I make it from 100% rye malt, whereas generally rye whiskey is made from cereal rye, small grain rye. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we're kind of going in between and doing, we're still putting it in new barrels, but we're doing, you know, a little bit, a little bit less aggressive aging, just because it it tends to get, we really want that rye character to show through and not get covered up by the barrel. I'm, I'm kind of, I tend to be, I tend to prefer a more spirit centered whiskey than mm-hmm. a barrel centered whiskey. Um, we don't really have the option to use many used barrels here in America. 
like right. they do in Scotland. That, yeah, that's using used barrels, tins even for a longer period of time, tends to make a more spirit-centered whiskey. Mm. Uh, but using a new barrel, if you want it to be more spirit-centered, you just you're making slightly cleaner cuts in the distillation, and then you're not aging it for five years because at that point it's just mostly going to taste like a barrel. But our bourbon, in-house bourbon, will be mostly barrel. So, and I guess for and I'll get you out of here on this. I'm going to talk to one of the owners after this. Um, the aging process in here, you have some stuff that's a quick turnaround, some stuff that's a long turnaround. How do you manage the space for the longer process for the shorter stuff? Um, we don't really. We just I just kind of look at where stuff is and remember it. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't have any actual system for this barrel is going to age this long and it's it's over here. It's all mixed together. But yeah, you know, I mean, I know like some 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 um, distilleries. You'll have you like, like rotating, yeah, rotating. Oh, how yeah. high they go. Yeah, and so that's tip. mainly that mainly is for distilleries that have big rick houses, big, big, huge, tall warehouses up in Kentucky. Right. Well, that huge warehouse is not climate controlled or anything. Uh, the whiskey at the very top of it is going to age pretty differently from the whiskey exactly. at the top because mm-hmm. of different humidity and temperature. Well, here in this climate controlled space, we don't have that. Oh, nice. So we don't have. We can't be rotating stuff around through different parts of the of a giant rick house. We don't have a giant rick house. We just have this distillery. Okay. So our distillery aging characteristic for the for a barrel is going to be more similar to barrel aging in Scotland, I would say, where where they have a more consistent temperature. Um, they don't generally use quite as tall rick houses, uh, and even if they do, it's just Scotland is mainly the same temperature all the time. Mm. You know, with much more so than Kentucky, where it's ninety during the day in the summer and sixty at night. That fluctuation. Just plays, you know, plays a large part in the way that it ages. Nice, uh, nice. Ours is a more gentle aging, I would say. You would call it, you would call it more gentle aging. Gentle aging, and then even then, there's still a difference between the aging and the maturing, which is a whole. Right, exactly. Yeah. So maturing would be just kind of overall how the spirit has developed, versus aging is mainly viewed in how many years. Yeah. So we, we are. I am big in, you know, the big, the big, the big factory distilleries have pushed. Age is the main determinant for whiskey for all these years because that's all they have. They make one one person's running two giant stills the size of you know basically a five story building, an eight story, a ten story building. Right. It's not. They can put handcrafted on their bottles all they want. It's not handcrafted. Our whiskey is handcrafted. Mm-hmm. We don't have to just rely on age. I can taste things. I can I can just like a brewery. I can plan things and develop things with more than just that one facet. To be its determining factor of excellence. Gotcha. Because like I, because again, like I, before I got into this or learning about it, I'm like, oh, if it's not a five year or a ten year, I don't want it. But then it seemed like that's not necessarily the best attitude to have. It's, it's it kind of depends. If, if something is well distilled, I mean, how how old would you say that the the Monday night sourced uh, Scotch style single malt you just tasted was? Oh, geez, I feel like it's been aged for a while. Yeah, it has not been aged for a very long while. Really? No, it's been in a quarter cask for. Uh, I, I'd have to look back at my record to see exactly how long. Probably not even a year, right? About that. Yeah. About a year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so you can get that out of a year. Where if you distill it, if you pay a lot of attention to what you're putting in the still, it basically is all about details. If you pay attention to everything that goes into your still, from the mash cooker to the fermenter to the still, if you pay attention to how you distill it, if you use traditional distillation techniques, not relying on more of a, I guess, factory, modern, industrial method. My, my method is basically the same as it was 500 years ago in Scotland, 800 years ago in Ireland. Wow. So I, tur- I don't have any computers. Everything is done by valves that I turn or uh, steam steam um, valves. I guess I have a calculator right there. Someone pointed out one time I was using and that was an electrical device. <laughs> everything in here is very hands-on. If you pay attention to every detail, what you get, it doesn't have to be. 10 years old would be good. It can be amazing, excellent whiskey much faster than that. Well, would you guys ever do, I guess as you, you're still a young company as well. Oh, yeah. So that's another, I mean, that's another, like, would you guys ever maybe put something away for that a long time, just kind of store it away? The first barrel we ever made, we're planning to age for 10 years and just have something to, for, you know, us and the shareholders or whatever when we bottle it. But, I mean, honestly, after 10 years in the new barrel, all your, the work I did on these stills, the work I did in the mash cooker and the fermentation, planning the mash, developing it, it's all just, it's so gone by the wayside and wow. what you're tasting is a new barrel. 10 years of new barrel. It's just, if that's, if all you want to taste is the barrel, that's fine and you should enjoy that. But that's not the only thing that makes whiskey good and that's not the only kind of whiskey. And as people had to learn to broaden and expand their horizons to enjoy IPAs and quadruples and sour beers, people are, people have to be willing to allow 
distilleries who put excellent things before them without the same blinders on that they once had for me. And is that the same thing where you go to somebody and say, you know what, hey, I can get a bottle of Jack Daniels for 20 bucks. Yours costs 35 Why should I buy yours? I would say, where can you buy Jack Daniels for $20? I'm going to go buy all of it and resell it for $30. <laughs> don't put that on there. That might be a felony. I'm, I would yeah. actually do that. I'm We're joking. Yeah. Uh, just joking. Um, yeah, I mean. But you know what I mean? Uh, Jack Daniels is great whiskey. Yeah. I would never lambast someone from having Jack Daniels or drinking Jack Daniels. It's great. You know, Jack Daniels was invented by an African-American, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, that is a fine whiskey. Ours is also a fine whiskey. Just like Wild Heaven's Quadruple is a fine whiskey, so is a genuine from Belgian quadruple. They're both great beers. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say whiskey just then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're both great beers. No, Wild Heaven's Quadruple is not made in Belgium. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try it, mm. drink it, own it. You know, there's not just one whiskey to buy. There's not just one facet of whiskey. There's not just one facet of spirits, just like with beer. Uh, and I think I think we've, we've really seen people, as more distilleries that are making good whiskey come online, I think we're seeing more people being willing to kind of take that, you know, take that leap and try some stuff. And, then, and that's great. That's one thing that's great about the tasting room. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. You know, you can come in here and pay seven bucks or whatever our tasting room fee is, eight bucks now, I think, and try three different whiskeys, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, and, and try it. You don't have to buy a bottle. You can just try it. Or you can go to a bar and get a $5 drink of whiskey and try it. You don't have to buy a whole bottle if you don't want to. If you want to just try it and see if it's for you, just like beer. Fair enough. And then last thing, what's coming up next for you guys? Oh, man. What's coming up next? We'll have a port-finished version of Resurgence Rye coming out. Probably, we were thinking in June, but now we're hoping to get some cool legislation coming through in the next couple, in the next month or so for, mm. for our, you know, direct sales and everything, hopefully. And we're thinking we might do a party for that and have that be a release. We'll see. We might, we have another one. I'm not sure. I never know what I'm allowed to talk about, you know, because <laughs> some of the stuff that hasn't been released, we're, we generally be pretty low key on, but we're right. just because someone else can do it uh, before we even get it out. The... I think we're planning something. Uh, I know me and Eric are hoping to do some beer barrel aged whiskey. So oh, he's taking nice. our resurgence barrels and aging beer in it. Oh, well, we'll come. We've actually done that. So well, yeah, because there's the if this is okay, uh, there's the one brand, um, the Castmates by um, ah, whoever um, Jameson. Jameson, yeah, Jameson, yeah. I, I told him that's what I thought. Yeah, so it's the Castmates by Jameson that people seem to really like. So maybe. That could be like a next innovation. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll also be having a uh, double malt whiskey coming out. So this is a concept that me and Jim have been thinking about since right three and a half, four years ago when I just started working with them trying to get this distillery off the ground. It was an idea I came up with. He came up with a name. So it's basically going to be 50% barley malt, 50% rye malt. So a single malt can be made from any type of malt, but only that one form of grain. So if you make it from 100% rye malt, it's a single malt. If you make it from 100% barley malt, it's a single malt. This is going to be 50-50 or, or close to it, um, depending on what the government lets us call it and do. Uh, so we're, it's going to be a double malt, probably aged in 30-gallon barrels and probably some 15-gallon barrels. And that also, we may that may be coming out this summer. That would be for the... Uh, July release probably and that's, that's going to be a, hopefully be an excellent whiskey that's actually what I'm running in the spirit still right now nice and then in the wash still right now I have a resurgence rye distilling for the first time um, and then what else we'll have our bourbon coming out our in-house bourbon coming out at the end of the year more apple brandy we're hoping to do a peach brandy this summer oh, that might probably be fun. keeping it white and Uda V style but peaches are expensive and a pain in the ass we just kind of have to do it um, I mean, it's Georgia it's Georgia, you know. Brandy is a tougher sell than whiskey. Whiskey's what everybody wants. So mm-hmm. our our apple brandy is phenomenal. It's an old times, you know, old like style it, apple brandy. It's hundred proof, made hundred percent Georgia apples. Um, but you know, you have to get people drinking apple brandy before they really want apple brandy. Right. Whiskey's what everybody knows of the various types. So yeah, we have some other whiskeys coming out as well. That is most of them, though. Sounds good. Well, guys, listen, man, we're here at American Spirit Works. Really looking forward to seeing what these guys do. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Let's do it again. Have you?
you heard the latest edition of the Baker Bone and Rome Bad Advice Show? If not, check out this latest bad advice about pet care in the bedroom. Somebody had the same thing that you had. What's up? I asked the question, do you have sex with the pet in the room? And uh, one guy had the same problem you had. So usually the dog just gets offended and leaves on her own. <laughs> I think it's a... I think it's only female dogs that leave the room. Like honestly, the male dogs might try to get involved, but like, oh, oh my god, yeah, yeah. If you got a, if you got a female uh, dog, like she definitely gonna leave the room. She gets fuck you. I'm sick of y'all. Y'all disgusting. You should be walking me, not fucking, and then walking. The I'm telling you, it, it, the problem is not with the woman. She's telling you your stroke is trash, girl. I know too. This girl said, <laughs> "Oh man." The Baker Bone and Rome Bad Advice Show. Listen in for new episodes each week. Visit our website, cspn.us, or you can subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever fine podcasts can be found. Look for Bad Advice Show. The Baker Bone and Rome Bad Advice Show, only on CSPN. All right, boys and girls, I am back here at American Spirit Works. Just finished up talking to my man, Justin, head distiller here at American Spirit Works. Really great guy, really fun dude. But now we're going to get to the owner, my man, Jim Chastain. Jim, how are you, my man? Well, Device, how are you doing, brother? Thank you so much for coming in today. Hey, no, thank you for having me, man. So let's get right into it, man. You and Justin kind of met each other up in Athens and... Kind of explain how you guys like came in contact. Kind of a roundabout way. His uh, sister and I um, graduated from uh, high school together. And so we've known each other uh, from middle school on. Wow. And then he and my little sister graduated high school together. So Justin and I, our families knew each other, but we didn't know each other until um, my sister introduced us, my sister Joy, uh, as an avenue for us to find a, a distiller. Because we, you know, one of the things we, we're not good at everything, but one of the things we are good at is that we know that there are things we don't know and instead of starting from zero it made a lot of sense for us to uh, partner with someone that has experience in alcohol production um justin started the uh home uh, brew store blockader uh in athens and i knew his store even before i knew him and i had been into his store even before i knew him and uh you know it ended up that uh, he ended up uh selling that store and, and raising his children uh, at home and then uh, and now to the point they're getting in school age and the timing could not have been better we were going to do this project and we needed a distiller and he's our guy wow and i mean because you are a bourbon whiskey enthusiast before so what made you decide to go from being an enthusiast to uh, i'm gonna open my own place to this day i don't know why we decided to do it charlie <laughs> uh, thompson and i started the company and uh you know at the time seven or eight years ago when we started talking about it he and I were both drinking rye whiskey. We were roommates at Georgia, and we had, you know, we certainly had kept up. But uh, one day we realized that we both were drinking rye whiskey, and now rye is all the rage. Mm-hmm. But back then, that was really unusual that he and I were, you know, had been roommates, and we were kind of independently of each other started drinking rye. Wow! And uh, you know, one of us said, "Hey, we ought to, we ought to try to make some of this stuff," and uh, that's that's how it all started. So, how was the first batch? Oh, old jar number one. You don't want old jar number one. <laughs> Old jar number one, huh? <laughs> old jar number one. Old jar number two was a lot better. Fair enough, fair enough. So how'd you, how'd you improve from one to two? Um, so, you know, there's just uh, tr- allegedly trial and error out there. Um, that's what they say, right? Allegedly. <laughs> uh, but um, we kind of developed through some uh, experimentation um, a, a recipe, and we knew we had to do something clear. And uh, so we built every, I mean, it's really a nerdy story. We just, we bought a book called The Business of Spirits and we read it and we did as much research as we could. And fortunately, you know, even now there's even more, uh, no. there are even more resources. Back then there at least it started to become some resources with the uh, American Distillers Institute and, you know, forums out there with people that were trying different things. So at least there were things you could kind of learn from what other people had done. Uh, now those resources are becoming a lot more uh, accessible, which is great. Okay. So. Um, I had your resurgence ride, mm-hmm. and when I first had, I thought it was age five years, maybe ten. Apparently, it's only age five months. That's right. <laughs> How the hell do you do that, man? Well, there's it's a combination of two things. Number one, it's Justin making very uh, precise cuts on our system. You know, our cutting edge, five hundred year old Scottish technology. Uh, those systems are really, really good at being deliberate about what liquid goes in the barrel and what doesn't, and so. 
you know, we don't need years in a barrel for the gaminess to go away, you know, because there's, it's much more refined when it goes in day one. So the quality of liquid is very, very high on the first day. Uh, and our system and our distiller allow us to do that. But the second thing is what I do need it to pick up is barrel characteristics. And mm-hmm. so what a small distillery is able to do is to use small barrels to do that. And going back to your high school chemistry class, you just have less liquid and more surface area. Right. So it doesn't age any faster, but it, it does mature. It picks up barrel flavor faster. Mm. So if you've already got a refined liquid and you need it to pick up barrel characteristic, then that small barrel is just the thing. Now, the reality is long term, from an economic standpoint, we need to be in big barrels. We like the flavor better in a big barrel. And in addition to that, the cost for a 15-gallon barrel is the same as a 53. Right. So the plan was, you know, you start introducing the 15s in a market so that we can introduce brands. But over time, we will be blending the 53. Anything we've done that we've put in 15s, we've also put in 53s. So as the 53 gallons age, what will happen is less and less. Oh, the 15 gallons. Yeah. So that's the beauty of the 15s is you don't have to go. Like the first resurgence that came out, I believe, was 60, 40 little barrels to big barrels. Nice. You know, now. Now it's 50-50, and then as it goes on, as those big barrels mature, you'll eventually have less and less of the 50. Right, because you're actually cranking out product and making money and that whole thing, bringing it in. Right, but I'll put our first introduction to the market up uh, up against any distillery in the country. I mean, for a first edition, it is absolutely top shelf. So now, let's get into the the distillery business a little bit. Um, More from the angle of, well, Georgia's laws are weird. We'll get into that a little bit later because there's still some things that are in flux, so... Don't want to get too bogged down into minutia on that, but more into there's what 11, 12 actual distilleries in the state <coughs> as compared to breweries where there's like 55. You know, 55. So, how do you guys play with each other? How do you guys kind of make that work? The brewers have been really good to us, the other distilleries have been really good to us. I mean, I think there's a pay it forward uh, mentality in a community in this in, in the city and also in the state. So, um, you know, and, and we've done the same thing. I've had in, sitting in the exact seat that you're in, three or four new potential distilleries come in, and short of exact cuts and exact recipes, and you know, down to the cell financials, we'll tell people anything. I mean, we'll help them with equipment. Uh, and, and there were people that would do that for us. I mean, Eric Bonk down in uh, at Richland Rum was incredibly helpful. Mark Allen, uh, Lazy Guy, uh, helped us. Even the old fourth guys who were coming along about the same time we were. Um, they took time out of their, I mean, they were incredibly busy at the time. They took time out of their schedule to show, they literally walked our architects through, wow. you know, some of their systems and told us, Hey, do this, don't do that. So we have tried to do the exact same thing, um, as, as new people ask us for advice as well. So I, I just think this sense of community that I think you pick up on in mm-hmm. the brewing community is even more so in the distilling because we're 20 years behind. And so everybody knows you're fighting an even more difficult, uh, path to get up and running from a legal standpoint, uh, but also you don't have as many people to ask. So I think people have been really um, open to that. And then from there, getting yourself on shelves. Um, I know a lot of the brewers, you know, like they've been able to go with different distributors. Who you guys distribute with and how has that shelf space battle been? With us, we've been very fortunate. Our distributor uh, is United. They're the largest in the state. And um, United kind of had this vision of looking through uh, or looking forward and knowing that craft was up and coming. So they were beginning a craft spirits division when we approached them nice and they have used us as an example like hey these two knuckleheads that we met when they were you know out of the trunk of a car basically we helped them so they've sent us other potential small craft brands and they said seriously tell them did we do a good job for you and the answer is yes they've treated us you know like a much bigger company than we are uh, giving us access to events and things that we would not have had access to Mm -hmm. Uh, but i you know, you still have to get on the ground and... and you still have to put good stuff in the bottle. you got to put good stuff in the bottle, and then you got to go talk to the accounts as well. And so uh, meeting uh, Chad uh, Ralston, our chief marketing officer, and hiring uh, him, helping us find Josh Anderson, who is our head of sales, that really changed the world for us because, you know, then we, Charlie and I, just couldn't be everywhere. Justin was going to be in the back, but having them on the street, boots on the ground, there's no replacement for boots on the ground. And the relationship with United and then Chad and Josh have, have completely changed the world for us. And from that, what's it like going out? What was it like the first time you went out? Was it a bar? Was it a restaurant? Was it a liquor store? What was it when you saw your brand on The first place we saw it was uh, Peachtree Road. Uh, liquor. I think they're the first liquor store that picked it up, and our friends and family, everybody ran there to get them. Guys uh, named Bo Wilson has been an awesome supporter. He put a stacker in the on the floor there, 
uh, way before we deserved it, which was a really cool thing to do. He, he was a pioneer as far as the retail craft beer movement. Mm-hmm. And then you, you'd think some of these big package stores around town, like Towers and Greens and uh, Max, uh, Decatur Package. I mean, all these folks are really driving this craft movement. I mean, they are fully on board and huge supporters of the movement. So, I mean, the retail stores have been huge advocates. And that's got to feel good, right? You go into a place where you, I'm sure, have bought before and see your stuff right there. Agreed. Agreed. It's, a, it's very, you know, it's, it's surreal, really. And then from there, are bars starting to carry your stuff down? How's that kind of going? Yeah, so the first, uh, the first two accounts we ever picked up, um, this is years ago, were um, uh, Ansley Country Club brought us in. Um, nice. They were looking to do like a little spirits, uh, craft spirits. Uh, program and then local three, which at the time they had just got named Georgia Restaurant of the Year, mm-hmm. and they took the time to actually uh, bring us in. So those brands, those brands of restaurants that are you know traditionally support local uh, products, are the are the ones that would let us in the door, and they did help us. And then again, that still has to be crazy. You go behind, you go, you look at the bar, and you see your stuff. Well, up now there. it's even more so when you see a family of brands up on the shelf of a, of a bar, and there's three or four of your products there, and then you're like, man, this wasn't this wasn't one off. These guys are truly supporting us. You're in. To it. And then, and then also from there, I know a lot of brewers. They'll kind of go and they'll sit. They'll kind of go to a restaurant. They'll see people order it. Maybe they'll go talk to them. You kind of take on that same thing, or oh yeah, or seeing like a what's it like when a waitress is asked, "Hey, what's this fiddler? Or what's this white dog?" And they explain it right. Like that's well, that's the thing. Josh, uh, our head of sales, is, is excellent at training and taking you know some pretty sophisticated concepts that you know start in the back room here and turn it into a story that can be told very briefly uh, and precisely and accurately to the end user by a bartender or a waiter or waitress. It, it, that I think putting those systems in place has been a, a huge value to us. And by the way, guys, you're listening to Beer It Is on the CSP Network. My name is Tobias Wilborn. Today we're deviating a little bit here at American Spirit Works, now talking to one of their co-founders, just kind of wrapping on the whole craft distillery scene and particularly American Spirit Works. So tell me, what's coming next? Um, we will have um, several releases. Uh, we are, um, you know, you, the, the Fiddler that's out now is uh, the Georgia Hartwood uh, version of our Fiddler. And uh, that, there is another uh, version that we're fiddling around with. Um, <laughs> fiddling, literally. Fiddling, yeah, yeah. Literally, fiddling around with. Uh, and that one's top secret, and it'll, it should figure out if it's going to work or not. Fair um, enough. In addition to that, then we've done some experimenting with some port cask and sherry cask aging and uh, that sort of thing. And uh, we're trying to be pretty conservative on, um, you know, additives and not doing anything too crazy. It's all been just traditional stuff. But you know, variants of our current product are out there. And then there's there are two or three surprises uh, that are waiting out there. We would love to do more uh, with fruit down the road. Uh, but right now, we're really happy with the how the apple brandy. The apple brandy is fun. Yeah. And I'm hearing there may be a double malt, maybe? You know, we're going to do something that's pretty unique. We've got a... Uh, a double malt that's in the works. Um, that we've, we have really not seen anybody globally do uh, exactly what we're doing uh, with a double malt. So that, uh, I think that'll make a pretty big splash. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how that plays out and how that comes out. And let's talk a little bit about the um, working relationship you guys have with Monday Night Brewing right. on the new release that's coming out. So they uh, approached us about, um, you know, bringing us uh, some of their, uh, you know, a mash that they had made and for the purpose of uh, putting through our system and uh, I think you're going to see more and more of that um, that type of working together between the breweries and distilleries and you know Joel who is one of the founders of Monday Night and uh, Charlie who is one of our founders they were next door neighbors when uh, Monday Night was having their Monday Night Bible study and eventually brewing after the Bible study Charlie was getting home at night from his uh, lawyering days and uh, sharing beer with him so it's just crazy fortunate that uh, that relationship started years and years ago. And so, um, you know, they, they really approached us with this idea before we even were permitted, before we were, uh, you know, had our systems in place. Wow. So, so it's been like one of those long time things. Yeah, they're like, hey, hurry up. We got to get something together on this. So and it's really the Charlie and Joel. Uh, relationship that allowed that to happen so quickly. And then, from what I understand, um, Adam, one of the head brewers over there, right. has a good relationship with Justin. They so. just really got along. They nerded out. Um, yeah, it sounds pretty, about right. Yeah, pretty well together. <laughs> and uh, I think you know, it's kind of like this testing. They both, they were both testing each other and. I think they both walked away and said, yeah, I think that guy knows what he's doing. And uh, so them on the brewing side, obviously, and us on the distilling side. And I think that when when that kind of ch- – when that we knew that we all got uh, together from a personality standpoint, but when we got together technically and from a product production standpoint, it was, it was you know, 
rock and roll at that point. Man, that has to be fun to be able to go and create just like that and just have that magic kind of happen. Oh, and there's all sorts of, uh, you know, their press release talks about, you know, renting the Penske truck. I mean, you know, you're just the logistics of getting liquid back and forth. Uh, right. Each other. And doing it the right way. Doing yeah. it the right way and doing it in a timely manner when, when, because there's only two of us working back there that we could actually add it into production without having to shut everything down. I mean, they just, uh, overcame a ton of logistics challenges and we overcame a ton of production challenges, uh, to make it happen. It was really exciting your point kind of watching that puzzle the pieces started filling in together and then a few weeks later you start pulling a little bit out of the small barrels and you're like oh wait a minute this is this is excellent so and for understand you guys aged it a little over right at a year correct no we're not quite a year it's uh quite a year yeah so it was the second um second grain bill i think that we did here so i mean it's getting right at six months old oh wow okay i mean it's a monster for six months old it the way they designed it to be uh very flavor forward in the way that uh, Justin made his cuts to be, you know, really, really um, high quality. Uh, just really, you know, our plan was we'd probably age it for about a year, but then we started tasting it. You know, we're it, it's delicious. And it made it work, and then from there, you see some of those other, because, I mean, you guys are also cool with Eric over at Wild Heaven. Maybe oh, yeah. there's something going on. I know, because he's used some of your barrels before. That's right, the Wild Heaven guys have, and... Um, Urban Tree Cidery, Gate City Brewing, and mm-hmm. Roswell's got our barrels. Um, Orpheus has yeah. got our barrels. I mean, the showering program is bananas. It's bananas. Yeah. So I mean, the things that are going on that we're going to get to participate in because our barrels are such a nice commodity here in town, and you know, especially the rye and the brandy barrels. You, we, you know, they can get bourbon barrels somewhere else, right, right. but you cannot find rye and apple brandy barrels. I mean, this is really truly unique stuff. They're all looking for a unique product. And so, from what I understand, a big part of the bourbon whiskey business is the secondary market for the barrels. How do you guys work with that? Um, I will tell you, as soon as we tell people that we've got them fresh dumps, they will crawl over glass to get them. So, wow. Yeah, we are. We, a lot of times, the... Uh, the consumers that come into our tasting room want to buy them, um, but you know that doesn't, make, that doesn't make sense. We need to put out you know feelers and be working with the neighbors. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't think we've sold anything to the public. We we try to get them out there and get something. Wow, that's crazy. So how many barrels do you say have come through so far in your time? Advice. I'm not positive about that. You mix the little ones and big ones. Less than twenty. Wow. And so basically, you get, you guys even have to like make a wide call. It's just, hey, we got some, or people who look searching you there, searching you for. If a brewer walks through here, they're going to mention that, hey, if you have barrels, please call us. Right. And, uh, we just, you know, we call the people we knew first. And so, yeah, I'm guessing you don't have to go very far down the list to get those barrels picked up. No, like one call down the list. Wow. <laughs> and then how? We have never had anybody, uh, we've had one brewery not interested, but. Other than that, other they than come that. get them. So, I, and how does that process work? As far as making sure, because um, I know there's a brewery, a couple brewers who had infection issues with barrels. How do you guys kind of ensure that that doesn't happen? I think it's a risk. You know, they uh, we have not had any challenges yet, but I mean, you know, they've just got to keep an eye on it. Mm. Um, really, for us, it'd be more leaking. And you know, you did, when most of the breweries here in town already have a barrel program, program yeah. so they've gotten a barrel. And ours are so people talk about fresh dumps. I mean, ours are fresh, fresh, fresh dumps. So. When they, you know, when you go up to Kentucky to get fresh dumps, they could be two to four weeks old. Right. By the when time they come here, them. it's, I mean, it's damp still. It's very, wow. very fresh. So there, we, we would foresee a lot fewer problems with just because you're staying so local. There's no, just driving around in the truck from here to Kentucky and banging those things around mm-hmm. is going to cause issues where, you know, driving it from one, you know, city block to the next is not going to cause as many. And that's got to, like I said, that's another cool thing where you have those type of relationships where they're going to want barrels, then even, <laughs> Even maybe wineries can use so yeah, like they're, they're definitely that's definitely a thing. Oh, that urban tree, you know, mm-hmm. it's technically a uh, farm winery for it's a cidery, obviously, but yeah, they uh, that's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, and I, and I hear the collaboration you guys have with that is going to be really fun. We're though. fired up about that one. That's going to be really cool. And so, how do you manage all this and still have a life? Because uh, <laughs> the wife is here a lot, and <laughs> yeah, so Kelly runs our events and she runs our uh, retail, and she's just absolutely killed us. I mean, she really killed us, killed it. <laughs> She let she has uh, kept us going. Um, you know, before we had a license or anything like that, we were designing this area, and at least people could see it and know what we mm-hmm. were. You know, really good at a good experience that it was going to eventually be once it got open. So she has done an awesome job. Um, but uh, the, you know, the spreadsheet will will walk you through how things are going to hopefully turn out financially. But I think your point is, is valid about you know just quality of life. You just you just end up here a lot, but that's the same if you started a you know shoe store, right? So whatever it is, yeah. it's yours. This and is run the it. family business. And 
How important is that supportive wife? Wouldn't be able to do it. She's she's been unbelievable. She, we we would not be able to spend as many hours here, and we really get along. So uh, you know that's been nice. I, my career before we did this was me traveling, and uh, I was just gone a lot. So this was even though the hours are really really intensive. But you're home. I'm home. Yeah. So that it, I think when you come from just being gone a lot to being home, uh, I think that's helpful. And then, where do you see this distillery going in the next, say, two to three? Well, we fancy ourselves to be a, an incubator of brands. So ASW Distillery is not going to be. You're not going to see an ASW Distillery bourbon. Mm-hmm. It's going to be we create brands that are standalone. So one of the things we always say is that when you look at the bottling and the branding, and our, all of our brands are cousins, but not necessarily brothers and sisters. Mm. So. You know, we, we, we kind of look at ourselves uh, from a marketing standpoint the same way a winery would look at the world in that we uh, don't really brand that heavily around ASW Distillery's blank, you know, fill-in-the-blank product. It is Resurgence Rye, Fiddler. And there may be offshoots of even those brands, as, as I'm sure you've discussed with mm-hmm. Justin. Yeah. Um, so we, we think there'll be more uh, added to the family between uh, now and three years from now. Nice. And that's going to be really fun. And real quick. The Monday night event, tell us about that and how people get involved. So um, right now, you know, they're really, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really their product. They're taking the, the lead on it. Um, and so they are front running the, uh, the event, which we're going to do on Monday, the 27th. Yeah, February, February. Monday. Right? Let's see. It's definitely a Monday. Yeah, Monday, February uh, 27th. So that'll, that'll be a lot of fun. Obviously, it'll expose us to a consumer that they have that may have never heard of us. So it's a huge deal. But um, How many people are you expecting for that? How many bottles? Um, I don't know the answer to that. You know, this uh-huh. is the first time uh, that we're doing it. Uh, I expect it to be pretty crowded. You know, we did 100 people just with the apple brandy. And, you know, it's really difficult to gauge what the a- apple brandy drinking community looks like in Atlanta. Mm. This putting whiskey out there is going to be a lot more uh, broadly received. So I... Honestly, we don't know. We're, we're excited that... Uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, I'm definitely going to come out and check it out and just kind of observe the scene and kind of see that beer world mixed with the whiskey world. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, us get an opportunity to introduce ourselves to that consumer. And a lot of those folks are already leaning toward, you know, they're already in... They're into craft. They're not mm-hmm. necessarily into craft beer or craft spirits. They're open to craft. And so if that's the case, if they're currently a craft beer drinker, it's a it makes them a very, very likely candidate, uh, you know, to be a future... Uh, consumer of ours all right so and last thing um there's a lot of brands that call themselves handcrafted right what's the difference between that and what does handcrafted actually mean to you it really needs to be in small batches i mean there's really no definition for it so you've seen some lawsuits out there with people you know getting themselves in trouble by saying handcrafted and if if you are a craft distillery you are making it in true small batches um I don't know that I could give you a size because, you know, we're just... It's not like craft beer where there's actually like, I know the regulations are like this many barrels. Yeah, there is a proposal to make it uh, the craft distillery definition. Um, I think it's under 100,000 proof gallons. Hmm, okay. I think that is... Nope, that's not not accurate. I'd have to go back and look at what they're trying to make it, but under... Maybe it's 100. Anyway, I I don't recall, but there there will eventually... But there's going to be a cap. Yeah, there'll be be a definition of it. And, you know, around here it means that just about everybody that works here has touched every single bottle that comes through. I mean, you know, Justin has handmade every one of his cuts. There's literally not even a computer program that is turning off a bell or a whistle when his temperatures change. It's him up there by Looking hand, at the steam and watching, making his cuts by hand. I mean, so for us, it would be even more of a hands-on uh, than what I think the, de- the actual definition will end up being. And then for that, like, I mean, how big do you want to be? That's tough to say. I mean, um, you know, nine months in, um, ten months in, we are... Um, you know, I would say if you gave me another year, we'd have a better idea of what the what the opportunities are. Right now, we cannot make enough, you know, just to get on the streets. And we're not even in Georgia yet, when you think about it. I mean, you know, the, the 15 or so closest stores to our address right now, plus a few accounts north of the city and a few accounts in Athens, they watch and they buy every single bit they can get as wow. soon as we put it on the street. So, um I don't know the answer yet. I mean, I, I, we are certainly open to, to growing, but, um, you know, we also want to maintain our integrity. But I'm, I'm assuming you don't want to be the next maker's mark, Chris. I don't think we've got the... Uh I don't think we've got the infrastructure to do it. I mean, right, right now we're limited. I think, you know, if we could sell to the, you know... Uh, the, you know, your foodie-type markets in the mm-hmm. southeast, your uh, Atlanta's, Nashville, Charlotte, um, Charleston's, uh, that sort of Savannah, thing. Savannah, yeah. Savannah, mm-hmm. absolutely, mm-hmm. Savannah. Um, so I think we'll target city to city in a regional uh, in a regional way versus, you know, I, I don't see us going nationwide 
at any point. And we'd have to, we'd have to significantly augment our system, and we're just not there yet. Right. And that may also take away from the actual craft of it, which was the original goal, was to be crafting. You're exactly right. Well, guys, listen, I want to thank both Justin and Jim for doing this with me today. Thank you so much. Really looking forward to seeing what comes next, how you guys develop, and I'll definitely be back to check you guys out again. Man, we have absolutely loved having you. It's so great to, you know, you, you are an active uh, participant in this movement that we are uh, also, you know, trying to see grow. And, uh, you know, just the fact that we can get the attention that we have through uh, folks like you that do the radio shows and that sort of thing, it's been really exciting. Thanks, man. Guys, listen, American Spirit Works, here on Otley Drive, if you're a beer drinker, it's not too far from Sweetwater, right off the highway, really cool spot. Come check these guys out. They're open Thursday through Saturday for tastings, also during the day. Every day during the day, except for Sunday, right? We do retail during the day. Retail during the day. Active tastings. So, uh, okay, so walk me through hours so people can kind of know. We're open almost, uh, we're open every day during the week at 10, and we do a lot of, uh, you know, retail business, church, gifts, that sort of thing. Um, And you can get a bottle tour. You do the bottle tours Thursdays, Fridays from 4.30 to 7, Mm -hmm. and uh, Saturdays from 2 to 5. And guys, come check it out. They have a pool scene, nice ambiance, really beautiful area. And also, where can people find you on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, at ASW Distillery uh, on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Nice. Thank you. We're going to be back. All right, man.